Thank you for joining us at Conversations to Inspire. I am your host, Teresa Moore. There are many facets of the mind-body-spirit connection. In this episode, we explore the benefits of chiropractic care. Our guest is Dr. Craig Morris. Dr. Morris is a chiropractor, a wellness coach, and a teacher. Dr. Morris helps patients in his practice called Advanced Spine Care and Wellness at two locations in both Plymouth and Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I encourage you to learn more at advancedspinecareandwellness.com. In this episode, Dr. Morris shares with us his background, his experiences as a teacher of anatomy and physiology at massage school, as well as his powerlifting and weightlifting background. Dr. Morris and I discuss his philosophy about chiropractic care and the various techniques he uses in his practice, including the McKenzie method, dry needling, standard chiropractic adjustments, massage therapy, EMS or electric muscle stimulation, ultrasound, and differential diagnoses. Dr. Morris teaches us about diet and nutrition, his experiences with the Wim Hof method of cold therapy, and the benefits of weightlifting. Dr. Morris encourages each of us to be our own health advocate. Here is my conversation with Dr. Craig Morris. Thank you for joining us at Conversations to Inspire. I am Teresa Moore, and with us today is Dr. Craig Morris. Craig is a chiropractor who also is a powerlifter and also teaches classes with a massage therapy school with students there. Thank you for joining us, Craig. My pleasure, Teresa. Um, Yeah, I have been a a powerlifter for about six years, but I've actually been lifting weights since I was 13. So I've been a weightlifter for 42 years, most of that bodybuilding type lifting. And then like about five or six years ago, I went to a meet and watched a buddy lift at a powerlifting meet, and I got hooked. And on my second um, meet, I set a state record for bench press. Jeez, you just showed up and did that. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a a lot of fun. And I've broken that record a couple times since. So it's like 352.7 pounds. But I've done uh, 395 in practice. Would be a great record to do, but uh, in uh, a meet, it's a lot more difficult. <laughs> that's like a, an entire two people. Yeah, just about, <laughs> huh? As my kids would say, that's a lot of plates. Yes, that is a lot of plates. <laughs> Craig, do you want to go through your um, your background and how you became a chiropractor as well? Kind of interesting journey. I uh, saw a chiropractor for the first time when I was 15. I had uh, injured my back doing something athletic. Not sure exactly what, and a few visits, and I was better. And I didn't really think about chiropractic again until I met my girlfriend and to become wife in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, her dad was a chiropractor. It just put it in the back of my mind to that line of uh, thinking, that career choice. In high school, I had always been uh, pre med. They call you know fast track for that kind of stuff. I, I wanted to do something in the sciences. I just wasn't sure what. I went all over the place in college. I went to to college at Ferris State University in Ferris, Michigan, to be a pharmaceutical pharmacist. And after uh, a couple of years in that program, I decided I did not want to be a pharmacist. And I ended up with a degree in chemistry and a degree uh, industrial chemistry and a degree in applied biology. But after about four years of doing lab work, I was tired of lab work. So I decided that I would uh, um, leave that environment and go back to school for chiropractic. Um, and then I went from there to teaching anatomy and physiology at a massage school in uh, Walto, Wisconsin. Okay. And I did that for 
eight years. And when I started that program, I really thought it would be a watered down or a dumbed down program for anatomy, but it isn't. It's a very tough curriculum. It's a year long. How many years have you been teaching? They were in business for 11 years. Uh, COVID just killed the school two years ago, but I, I out of the, taught eight of the 11 years. Okay. Their anatomy and physiology. And my claim to fame there is no kid ever, kid, no student ever failed because of me. So if they failed, it's because they failed everything. <laughs> the, uh, anatomy and physiology is difficult. So to say that they didn't fail because of me, I think is a good thing. Kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I looked at it that way. And we had a higher graduation rate at our school than most of the state of Wisconsin. And then just recently, and, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started another school of massage for the Kohler Company at the Kohler Water Spa, and I am teaching anatomy and physiology there. Oh, congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I'm very excited. Interesting demographic shift, though. Uh, we have 10 new students, and none of them are single mothers, and that was kind of a mainstay. It was part of the one of the beautiful things of the program of being uh, involved with massage therapy, I thought, was... Uh, you could have a single mother that could make a phenomenal income after just a year's investment, one year investment that was only eight or ten thousand dollars. Interesting. And you could get out and make forty five, fifty thousand dollars part time mm. and call a lot of your own hours. So that was like tailor made for a single mom. Or for anyone, really. Or, yeah, that. but it's it was wonderful. really neat to me. That was a, a sidelight. Um, some of these, uh, when you learn anatomy and physiology, you're learning. Uh, a different language. You're learning medical terminology, anatomic position, and you're learning to speak a medical language. And it's difficult when these students master that. That gives them a lot of self-esteem. And they were able to carry that on into their personal lives and just blossom. And it was really cool to watch. And uh, there, there's a high burnout rate in that field. So seven years in, maybe half of them are gone. But uh, it's a physical field. Very grueling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. But interesting enough, there, here's a, I, I didn't do the teaching for the money. It was partly marketing, too. Most of those massage therapists that I taught all end up being massage therapists in my area. So they're a great referral source. I used to think as a starting Cairo, I would really like to have some medical doctors refer to me. That was my ultimate referral. And it turns out it's not. The ultimate referral is from the massage therapist. They spend... 60, 90 minutes at a time, sometimes two hours with a client, which I would call a patient. And uh, they develop a very intimate bond. And when a massage therapist recommends something, their uh, client is listening very intently. So that's a very powerful referral that I wish I had known about when I first came into uh, chiropractic, and I didn't. And I suppose that person, you're saying the patient or the client, yeah. then is really learning a lot from that interaction between themselves and the massage therapist as far as exactly what they need, because rather than a 10 minute doctor visit, they're getting a one hour, yeah. um, you know, hands-on literal yeah. yeah, experience with that person. So they know exactly what to do and, or how to refer and what they need. With and the referral program. That's what I've sort of incorporated. I haven't sort of, I did. I have incorporated that into my practice is I have a half hour treatment sessions, 25 minutes really and five minutes for paperwork and whatnot. But that's an eternity in chiropractic. A lot of times it's a five-minute visit after you've sat in the office for uh, a lobby for 30 minutes, and it's uh, a very much an assembly line. And I don't practice that way. I spend a lot of time, I listen to my patients, take cues from that, and change their treatment accordingly. 
when you do that, it's very individualized, very customized, and patients like that. Your practice is a little bit different, I feel, than most chiropractic. Yes, yep. Everyone, I feel, has heard of chiropractic. Maybe not everyone has been has been to a chiropractor or understands the phenomenal results that you can that you can offer to your clients. Why would a patient go to see you as a chiropractor? Not just you and your specialized practice, but chiropractic in general. What kind of things can you can a chiropractor help their patients with? Well, almost any neuro, neurological or neuromuscular injury, orthopedic injury, it's a it's a good place to start. It's generally cheaper than a orthopedic consult with a medical doctor or a PT. PTs cost hundreds of dollars an hour and need a secondary referral from another medical doctor. I went to a seminar a few months ago for nutrition, and he noted at the beginning of the seminar, the guy giving it this, uh, the doctor, that in the next few years, a great number, up to 20, 25% of medical doctors are going to retire. It's a tremendous number. And because of that, there's going to be this big gap. And on their exit interviews, they're asking these doctors, why are they leaving? And the, it's over 70%, it's because of their lack of autonomy. So essentially, they're admitting they can't control their patient's care. And that's one of the primary reasons they're retiring on time or early. And they coupled that with there was a number of practitioners, medical doctors that have retired maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but are still seeing, you know, a handful of patients or working 10 or 20 hours a week in their retirement. They're all re-retiring. They're leaving the field. So there's going to be a big hole. And chiropractic, that was the point of this uh, particular seminar, can fill that hole uh, in most states. Uh, he was advocating this particular course using more blood work to determine the nutritional needs of people and uh, just common sense things. If 60 some odd percent of the population is obese, and they are, we're overweight, obese, some flavor of obese, then that's a great propensity for type 2 diabetes. So when people come in to see the chiropractor, do you have them urinate in a cup before their first physical? You should. Because there's a bunch, millions of un, undiagnosed uh, diabetics in this country. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's one of the problems he, he mentioned in the class. And he said, uh, patient comes in with mid-back pain. Often it's a musculoskeletal thing, but sometimes it's not. And how do you differentially diagnose that? How do you determine? So that's my number one um, job when you come to see me is, are you in the right office? So my first physical, I'm pretty rigorous. I there's a neuro screen, neurologic screen, orthopedic tests, um, whatever I can think of to make sure, listen to your heart, listen to your lungs, take your pulse, take your blood pressure. Are you in the right office? Sometimes they're not. I had a patient once uh, come in, and she had been an existing patient, but she came in with a new problem. And uh, her problems were always like neck-oriented. This one wasn't. It was mid-back. And she was having some indigestion, amongst other things. And she went several times to the hospital and they said that she was just having reaction to a flu or something. And I went and examined her and I knew her from the past. And I said, yeah, this, I don't want to worry you, but um, some of the symptoms that women have when they're having a heart attack are GI symptoms. I'd like you to go today to your doctor and, and just follow up. Well, it turns out she couldn't get in to her doctor that day. She went the following Monday and had a heart attack in the office. And she uh, um, survived it and did fine. And she still she moved to Pennsylvania, and she still sends me patients to this day from the area. Wow, that's an incredible story. But that, I think, is a true testimony to you and how you practice, that you know your patients and you spend time. Yeah, you got to spend time. And sometimes you're wrong even because you spent time, but uh, a lot of times you're not. Yeah, but you can save a life. 
Yeah. So chiropractic is so much more than just, as people say, going in for a spinal well, adjustment. It can be. It can be. But it, uh, unfortunately, a lot of chiropractors in my profession have grabbed onto the medical model, that five-minute visit, and they do the five-minute adjustment, and then everyone it gets very similar treatments. And I'm not saying that doesn't help, but it's not the best. It's not chiropractic at its best, in my opinion. And it's not how you choose to practice. And that's not how I treat people. Yes. See, I use something also called a McKinsey method. Uh, when I diagnose your problem, say I come up with that you have a disc injury, like a low back or neck, um, because you have radiating pain, et cetera, a bunch of symptoms. So there's a, a series of stretchings uh, and, and exercises that I can put the patient through that'll cause the pain to centralize. That means make it more intense in the neck or more intense in the low back. And you think, oh, that's a bad thing. It's not. That's uh, the criminal returning to the scene of the crime. If you have pain going down your leg and in your butt, that's not a leg pain. It's not from your leg and it's not from your butt. It's from your low back. So if you can get the pain to even intensify, but go back to the back, that's a good sign. That's a good sign you can make it heal. So um, there are patients that I, it's heresy to say it. I don't even adjust them. They come in with these symptoms. I could do the McKinsey evaluation, do a McKinsey method with them. If that works, that's all they need. Oftentimes I end up ming uh, mingling the two. Sometimes you find in the McKinsey method that there is a position that the patient gets into that gives them, it's a relief position. Often, if you adjust them in the relief position, that helps them do very well. And that can alleviate not only the pain, but help with the root of the problem? Yeah, the problem. I, absolutely, yeah. I remember having a gentleman call me up once and he uh, calls me and says, can you help me with some low back pain? I have sciatica and such. And he goes, well, possibly. And he goes, well, I'm morbidly obese. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he says, well, a regular scale doesn't weigh me. And I said, well, how much do you think you weigh? He goes, well, I'm a truck driver. So I weigh myself and the truck, and then I get out of the truck and reweigh it and do, subtract the difference. So he was coming in at about 480 pounds. He was a big boy. And the first time I saw him, he came in with a, a wheelchair. The second time I saw him, he came in on a walker. And the third time he came in with a walker, and he walked out carrying the walker. So that's fantastic. Yeah, that's there's incredible. a medical practice right next door, and the uh, and nurses in there applauded as he Aww. left. Yeah, they were really sweet. Oh, that is really, really great. But yeah. see, there again, you're able to not just um, fix a symptom yeah. or mask a symptom, you're actually able to get to the root cause and sure. help that person live a better life. And he was a McKinsey patient. Uh, there was no way I was going to adjust someone that big. That's beyond my capability. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great story. I love the success stories. Yeah, so, and there, there's lots of them. Yes, or I there can, can be. Yes. When you started your practice, you didn't start off this way, but you ended up morphing your practice into what it yep. is now. Because what was really frustrating to me is I'd get a patient that had obvious disc injury, and gosh, I was probably in practice about seven or eight years. And uh, a buddy, a friend of mine in Alabama said, hey, you got to check out the McKinsey stuff. Now, you're taught this stuff in school, but it's just a couple days and you're on to the next subject because you've got to cram a bunch of information in. But I went and took a week-long course, and uh, it's pretty intense. And uh, I, after completing that, that transformed my practice. So about every seven to ten years, I like to shake things up. I'm due. I'm due to do it again. Just a, another tool in the toolbox. Well, I can attest you're an amazing chiropractor. <laughs> Thank you, you. You have very healing skills, especially with sports injuries. I am. I don't know if that is something that you feel is your forte. but I like sport uh, injuries because, number one, uh, uh, most athletes want to get better. It's not that uh, the other people don't, but they are highly motivated individuals usually. 
and they're usually younger. They usually bounce back quicker. I like um, the powerlifting injuries. They can be pretty involved, but at the same time, I've had a number of those injuries. I think I've heard everything I can in my shoulders, so I know what they're going through on most of those things. Well, you're not going to tell a runner not to run. You're not going to tell a power lifter not to lift. You're, but you can modify those things, and they're they're open to that. But when you start out a blanket saying you can't do this, uh, it better be for a real short period of time. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> you're, they will not be happy you're going to lose credibility. Yeah. Um, but it seems like with your ability to treat sports injuries that you don't just treat them and send them out the door, but you have things that you are able to, tools that you're able to use within your office. And then you're also sending them home with exercise. Absolutely. Everyone, uh, regardless of who you are, athlete or not, you leave my office with a homework, with stuff to do. And I can tell if you did it or not, because when the next visit, I'll ask you to do that. And if you can't do it or you do it wrong, I know you haven't been doing it or you've been doing it wrong. So then we get us an opportunity to teach them again and help them heal. Uh, it's an unfortunate thing. Your body doesn't come with an instruction manual. Uh, when you're born, so it, where you're left to kind of in free fall your entire life, and some people are falling faster than others, kind of help them get some sort of equilibrium and balance in their lives, get things balanced and worked out so mm -hmm. that they can have a, a productive and good life. Exactly, because I feel that people who are stronger, maybe not stronger, but who are healthier physically uh -huh. are able to focus on so many other facets of their life and then just incorporate that whole mind, body, spirit right. facets of that and, and bring that wholesomeness and that entire fulfillment to their life. And it seems like to the athletes, they've already mastered one of those aspects, you know, mastering their body to some degree. So and then probably they're, a lot of the mental. Right. So they're, they've already started that journey towards their mental health too. Uh, when you can uh, I remember in, in high school when I started whipping weights at 12 or 13, you go out in the, PE to play baseball or something like that. And I was a very skinny kid growing up and stuff. So, I mean, you play baseball, they didn't expect me to hit it very far. But after a year lifting weights, all of a sudden I'm up back and I crack it out and get a home run. That's really confidence building. And from that point forward, when I came up to bat, they would go all way out in field because they knew I could connect. They knew what to expect. Yeah, so it was very confidence building. Mm -hmm. Do you see that a lot with the patients that come in that you're able to help them and then they're able to excel physically? Some, yeah, I've had um, and, and uh, a number of them, a couple of younger guys even went on to have um, low back surgery to some, in some extent. And I helped them because uh, exercises before and after their surgeries and they've gone on to become really good power lifters, just a couple. Most don't get surgery, thank goodness, but, and most don't need it. I have no problem if they need it, they, they need it. Do you work a lot with runners as well as power lifters? I have. I ran for about 20 plus years and I did triathlons for a number of years, just short sprint triathlons, one Olympic one. And I discovered that my body was not made for swimming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can swim. I can swim for a long time. I'm just not fast. So I uh, displace water. I don't swim through it. <laughs> I have another weightlifting buddy. And he and I are both in the same boat because we just, we're just, I can do biking is fun. The running, believe it or not, I did all right at, but uh, not not so much for the, the swimming. <laughs> well, then you find your strengths and you focus. Well, and then I don't have a ton of body fat. So you sink. If I exhale, I go right under. Some people I remember if I learned to dive and stuff, they, they have to have weights on their outfit to hold them under the water. I had the opposite. I needed some some ballast. Oh, that's why swimming in the ocean for the first time was fun because I'd never had a swim in salt water and you're so much more buoyant. Yeah. That was a brand new experience to me. I, I could float without 
my first triathlon I did in, in salt water. I thought, oh my gosh, that's yeah. fantastic. Because I don't need that yeah. wetsuit anymore. <laughs> right, right. Because all of a sudden, and it's not horrible yeah. cold. Right. Can you tell us any more of your success stories that you've had with patients that have come in that keep coming back to the sports injuries, but not necessarily that, but just people that have come into you that maybe didn't know what was wrong and then you were able to help them and then um, send them home with you know exercises or stretching or things to do. And then you see definite progression and definite healing. Oh, uh, I remember a gentleman coming in and he was a smoker and he was, you know, liked his beer and a bunch of other things. And his daughter had recently had twins. And he said, you know, dad, you're, she said to him, dad, if you're not going to make it if to see these kids graduate if you don't change something. And he was on the cusp of retirement. And so he's got to be in his 80s now. And I see him at the Y periodically. And uh, I got to set him on a path of uh, bicycling. And he is still an avid bicycler. He quit smoking when the twins were born. Just a wonderful guy. Yeah, just set him on a healthy lifestyle. And his wife was always very healthy but couldn't move him. Between the twins and, and the chiropractic. Yeah, I managed to tag team them and get them on a good path. That's wonderful. So I, mean, I have a number of patients. I see guys doing uh, another patient, just seeing them doing McKinsey exercises and some uh, core training at the gym. And I haven't treated them in 12, 13 years. So that's the good place to see them is at the gym. You know you're touching lives. You know you're helping people live a more fulfilled, healthier life. Yeah, I also do... Um, Dry needling, that's where you take like acupuncture needles, they're solid needles, and you put them into a knotted muscle called a trigger point. And then it causes the trigger point to reduce down and loosens it up and causes all sorts of uh, cascade of good things to happen. Give them pain relief, give them more mobility. I had a 80-some-odd-year-old patient come in uh, last week, and I, I hate to say this, but uh, sometimes you're prejudging, ah, I don't think this is going to work for this person. You think this mentally, you don't say it out loud, but I, I tried it on her, and I've had phenomenal results. Teach me more about that. I don't know if I understand well, how that I, the, the way it was explained to me is years ago, they did a number of experiments, probably in the 50s already, even with early ultrasound diagnostic ultrasound, if you look at a trigger point, it's like a knot in the muscle where the muscle is contracting on itself and it's not productive. It can cause a great deal of pain. So uh, in these experiments, they would inject uh, a needle into there that was solid and or a needle that was had a hollow. Yeah, the hollow needles um, and the regular needles, they both cause that trigger point. If you imagine under a ultrasound, it looks like a mountain. All right, so a knotted muscle. As you introduce the needle to the top of the mountain of knotted muscle, it shrinks right in front of it. And they're really not sure why. The, the exact response is unknown. But it does it with both hollow needles and solid needles. So it does it with medical needles and it does it with acupuncture needles. So uh, interestingly enough, the medical profession likes using the hollow needles because then they can inject that with saline or a drug to help loosen the, the, the knot. But the reality is it's the needle that did it. Not what they're injecting, but they can charge more for it. Even, you know, 50, 60 years ago, they were already taking that angle, whereas the acupuncturist uh, did not and chiropractic, the dry needling. And that's not anything to do with acupuncture? Completely different? Oh, okay. That's completely different, too. I just saying that we use the same needles. Okay. Like uh, if I'm... Uh, treating you uh, for a headache uh, with dry needling. I'm looking at your suboccipital muscles at the back of the head. Those are the most likely to cause a muscular headache to one of those uh, greater, lesser, or least occipital nerves. So I'm going to hit those suboccipital muscles with the needles and cause them to relax by you know, putting the needles in there. Whereas 
In acupuncturists, they use something completely different. They look at energy lines through your body called meridians. And these energy meridians, to get rid of a headache, they might put a couple on your head, but there might be a couple on your wrist and there might be one in your ankle because that's the meridian they're following. So, And I'm not knocking it. When I was in chiropractic school, I experienced anxiety for the first time in my life. Uh, and, and that and it was just over simple things. Here I am in the easiest academic semester of my career. <laughs> I had like uh, some very easy classes and then my student clinic where you're treating people and yet I was getting all worked up about it. So I went and had acupuncture done and it helped. Five, seven sessions of that. I have not had anxiety before or since. I, I mean, I'm not knocking acupuncture and saying they got a whole different system. Absolutely. And Everything you know effective. about Western medicine, it goes out the door when you see a Eastern medicine practitioner. But your dry needling is uh, more towards muscle pain? Yeah, yeah, muscular, at least that's the way we, we use it. See, because of the opioid crisis a few years ago, the state of Wisconsin re-looked at letting physical therapists and chiropractors do dry needling as a way of giving um, drug-free pain relief. Well, that's what we do. And when you're doing the dry needling, is that something that is a, it's not a one and done, correct? It's not like... Typically not. Uh, 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 it can be, it can be a one or two, but it's usually a half a dozen. I mean, it's not, it's not forever. Most of the time you don't even draw blood unless they're on blood thinners or something, because these are very fine needles. As you pull them out, yeah, I very rarely have blood. I remember having a big uh, weightlifter in there, and he had some some knee issues, and I dry needled him. I thought he was going to pay us out, but he was great. After <laughs> after the first uh, treatment, he asked for it. <laughs> first treatment, I think, surprised him. That didn't draw blood, and, and that it actually helped. But I remember in uh, chiropractic school, we had uh, phlebotomy classes, which we very respectfully called stab lab, <laughs> where you learn to draw blood on each other. And uh, it was some of these big bodybuilders. Uh, you show them a needle and boo, they, down they went. And out they go. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty classic. What other interesting techniques do you use that you can teach us about? So I do McKinsey method. I have been using um, uh, the dry needling and standard chiropractic. I will... Uh, Incorporate some massage stuff, some uh, some nutrition as well. Nutrition is probably the most uh, fast-growing part of healthcare in general. Most medical doctors have had less than one, some uh, less than uh, much less nutrition than a chiropractor. Yeah, and in most medical schools, and by most, it's at least two thirds that it cannot be a specialty that you take up. They don't have it as a specialty. Now that's changing. I'm starting to see some functional medicine doctors. I think that's what they're calling them with. Uh, some of the big box um, doctors, but uh, it's still pretty rare. It's kind of a fish out of water. One of the local ones that uh, she was uh, with a particular healthcare network and she didn't even use their own blood services and she didn't last very long. She's out in private practice now, which for a medical doctor is very rare. It doesn't fit their model very well. And you had mentioned EMS. Uh, electric muscle stem, muscle yep. Stem. Yep, and that's sort of like TENS. I say the TENS units that you can buy at home are like Yugo's, which were a disposable car from the 80s. And what I offer in my office is like a Cadillac version, the EMS version. And then ultrasound, I also use. I would like to probably incorporate more laser into my practice. I've been looking at that because I've been to a number of seminars where that seems to be very effective. Insurance, which I don't take, but insurance has been calling that experimental for 60 years. Uh, maybe they'll change their mind. But because of how uh, lasers work, they energize your mitochondria and promote healing, it's just a little too pro-health for them. 
yeah, insurance doesn't is always way behind the power ball. Well, well, they just don't want to go down the wellness pathway because that's not what they do. They're right. the sickness pathway. Right. Teach me about EMS. How does that work, and how do you incorporate that into your practice? the 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 electric muscle stem? Yes, it just causes muscles. We are biochemically powered, anyways. So we use normally to contract a muscle. Like say you were to put a barbell, a dumbbell rather, in your right hand, and you start curling. You're going to curl until your bicep muscle. Your bicep muscle is going to convert chemistry chemicals into electricity and that forces the, the muscle to move when you put on ems pads uh you're going to do that directly with the electrical stim and uh, i can even demonstrate that in different classes you put the pads on they involuntarily move uh, so you do that along the spine with spinal muscles they can take a lot of beating before they fatigue but if you do that with the ems they fatigue to some degree and they use something called a pain gate theory mechanism where they give uh, it gives pain relief by it, that mechanism, the pain gate theory. So like uh, it's when you're in pain and you stimulate another kind of nervous pathway, that's going to distract your brain. And it can actually last for quite a while. Hours after the treatment, you can have some benefit from that EMS. And is that something that you use just for pain relief or is that something that actually enhances your entire treatment? Well, it enhances the entire treatment. Also, I do that with some in conjunction with heat very often. So that relaxes the muscles. So between the natural relaxation, it makes my job easier to move a joint through its full range of motion and give you release to make an adjustment. It makes that easier. And it also gives some analgesia to the patient. It gives them some pain relief. I want to go actually kind of come back a, a few steps. Talk me through an adjustment. Okay. And how that and so why, an adjustment is when uh, a joint, usually in the neck or low back, moves through its full range of motion. Uh, it makes a little popping noise when it does that. That's nothing being broken. Uh, Germans call it Canucksing. We're from a very German area here in Wisconsin. So when I moved here, a lot of my patients said, I want to hear my joints Canucks. And I said, I didn't know what that meant. But it's, it's bones or <laughs> something like that. And uh, hear their bones in German. So that Canucksing. Uh, that noise, that popping. So that's actually a nitrogen bubble that accumulates in the joint space. Nitrogen? Yeah. 80% of our air is nitrogen. Only 20% is oxygen or less, a little less. So um, nitrogen builds up in your joint capsule. And when you abruptly move that joint capsule, that little popping noise is actually the uh, release of nitrogen from the joint space. An I adjustment. That. Yeah. So uh, an adjustment... If I adjust your spine, I move it through its full range of motion or reestablish its full range of motion. If I did the exact same thing 10 seconds later, it's not going to pop because it can't. All that gas, it's going to take you 20, 30 minutes for that gas to reestablish itself in there. And to rebuild and, up and yeah. accumulate. Okay. But it does, just because you don't hear the pop doesn't mean you weren't adjusted. And patients, a lot of them have that in their head. Especially as you age, you go, oh, why don't I hear these pops anymore? Well, you're still getting adjusted, but it's not going to make the noise because your joint capsules aren't as tight as they used to be at 50 as they were at 15. So it's not going to hold the gear of the gas bubbles, the nitrogen bubbles. Yeah, but more importantly, when you ran, uh, do the full range of motion uh, exercise or adjustment, a bunch of neurologic things happen, a whole cascade of events that um, reset muscle spindle fibers and a bunch of other neurologic things that can cause analgesia too and uh, help the patient. Uh, it's not uh, always uh, a good thing to mobilize a joint. Sometimes the answer is not adjusting. Kairos, a lot of them have to realize that if this is a this modality of adjustment is so powerful, there's places that it's not appropriate to. It's, you don't want in, an unstable joint. 
in some in a lot of cases or a looser joint. I quit doing yoga when I did powerlifting. Yoga is good. I had great workouts from it, but I was getting uh, more supple and more more flexible, which is in general a good thing. But in powerlifting, you kind of want a stiff back. <laughs> When you're deadlifting 500 pounds, <laughs> yeah, 530 pounds, which is right. I don't want to be supple then. And when I quit powerlifting, I'll go back to that. But I'm not doing that right now. So what is the connection with the nerve and the spinal column and your adjustments? Oh, well, way too much to go into altogether. But there's different um, pathways for information to go through your spine and pain. And uh, it, again, this mitigates it to some degree or rearranges how you perceive it and it it helps at many at many levels. So they call that the vertebral subluxation complex. I believe uh, the founder of chiropractic years ago, he explained this as an innate force, which is more appropriately described today as neuro, neurology. I've seen quotes from neurologists of how this system works. And if you interpose the word adjustment or, uh, uh, or neurology or nerve energy, nerve conduction, uh, with the innate that they talk about in the philosophy of chiropractic, it's the same thing. They just didn't have the right words for it 100 plus years ago. So if a patient comes into you, uh-huh. comes to see you, and they have pain anywhere in the body, how are you able to kind of give an assessment to figure out, okay, your elbow hurts or your knee hurts, your back, your neck, and then how to uh, proceed with your treatment plan? Well, you just do a, like a differential diagnosis. You decide, first of all, are they in the right place? Do they, uh, for the person, uh, I've diagnosed people with kidney problems. Huh. One guy came in, uh, interesting enough, with low back irregularities. He uh, was a police officer, and he had a very irregular gait. He he walked in to see me. He'd been to other chiros like he'd been walking, uh, riding a horse all day. He didn't really walk. He just sort of waddled from his waist and from his hips. And if you watched that, you recognize right away something was wrong. And I started examining him, and I examined his whole spine, and then it, low back wasn't his problem. He had neurolo- he had unusual neurologic symptoms, and when I looked at those symptoms, I started thinking neck. And he had an encroachment, a narrowing arthritis, some other problems in his upper neck that was pinching on his spinal cord. And it gave me some very bizarre symptoms. So he was getting... Um, adjusted and whatnot in his low back and it was never going to fix the problem and i told him i believe on the first visit that this wasn't going to he needed a neuro consult with a surgeon not me and he did and I, i've met him and seen him since and but uh, the, the more important thing is had he gone to another cairo and had his neck adjusted or had he been uh, uh, as a police officer in a car accident or something with any kind of simple trauma to his neck he'd been paralyzed mm. But he was not a chiropractic patient at the time. That's what I love about how you practice is that you're able to discern, okay, yes, I can help you, or no, let's put you over to the specialist or to that other arena. So uh, there are some kinds of pain. I I remember a patient coming in, another cop, and actually I met him about a year ago at the Y. Yeah, he had kidney problems, and it presented as low back pain. And I examined him, and I said, this is not low back. You got other things going on here. See, when people in a lot of pain, they shake a certain way and it's not controllable. And you can tell that that is not because of the part of the nervous system that's being used. It's not, it's not a regular pain. 
sometimes horrible disc pain will cause that. Uh, other um, visceral pains will cause that. Uncontrollable shaking, sweating, uncontrollable, you know, like when they're having a heart attack. These are visceral symptoms. He was having visceral symptoms that you don't belong here. You belong somewhere else. So patients come into you and and you are usually able to figure out just after your first analysis? Yeah. Oh, like discs. I I even teach my massage therapist about discs. So once they're good at it, they send me great cases because I can almost diagnose I have done this. With friends and family over the phone, I, I can tell it's a disc. So I've even given McKinsey exercises without without examining them more than that. Other than by, you know, sometimes geography, a loved one is hundreds of miles away. Mm-hmm. And I tell them that they tweaked a disc just by their symptoms. They do the exercises. I can watch them on uh, now with video phones, you know, with uh, FaceTime and whatnot. I can see how they're doing them, tell them to correct this or that. It's, uh, what is it? It's something like 80% of Americans are going to have debilitating back pain at some point in their life. Uh, debilitating being you're going to miss work. For long-term things like health in general, Diet, exercise, I'm your guy. I've done keto. I've done uh, gluten-free. I've done carnivore. The keto I did for up to uh, probably nine months. Gluten-free I've done up for a year and a half. The carnivore only maybe a month. It was tough. That's interesting, though. You don't just read about it and recommend. You actually are going to do a deep dive yeah. and try it. Yeah, I've tried it. Long term. That's great. I'm, I'm curious even... Not only that, but other health facets. So, I mean, you're active with powerlifting, yep. weightlifting, you're active with, you were doing triathlons and running and yep. all these different facets of health. I mean, that seems to be so encompassing how you practice. Yeah, I'm a lifelong learner. So, and I think everyone should be a lifelong learner. You have to take in your situation where you're at. You have to be your advocate for your own health. And no one's going to do it like you. And you have to pay attention. And once you get older, always bring someone in to the doctor's office with you. I'm seeing a phenomenon. I've seen it for years with uh, older patients. Once you're over 60, because they try this crap with me once in a while too. You know, oh, Dr. Morris, you're getting you're getting old. If you complain that you're a little arthritic. And it's, uh, you know, you are 55 or 50. You know, they try to poo-poo your thing as to your age. That's not that's not fair, I don't think. They're, they're just pushing you off because of your age or preset conditions. And I don't like that because uh, I'm in better shape at 55 than I was at 45. And I can lift more weight and do more things at 55 than I could at 45 than at 35, which is crazy. So I'm discovering that these limits that you have are just made up. I don't find them to be true at all. That's Um, fantastic. I went to look into some arthritis that I'm getting in my hands from what I do. I have a manual job and they do the powerlifting and weightlifting, which like I said, you pull 500 pounds or more. Yeah, your hands are going to suffer a little bit. So the answer a year ago was to go, I went to a rheumatologist. They wanted to start you on steroids. Well, steroids are a long, they're immunosuppressant and long term, they're not good for you. They'll de- demineralize your bones and a bunch of devascularize your body. That's not a good thing. And it was the middle of a pandemic. I didn't want to have a lowered immune system in the middle of a pandemic. So now I'm trying the ice baths. I started with uh, ice showers or cold showers uh, for 16 weeks. And then I graduated to ice baths. So this is the Wim Hof. Yeah, method, correct? correct. Right, Wim Hof breathing method. Uh, Wim Hof was a, a 
regular Dutch guy, and uh, his wife died at a young age. And when she died, uh, he was left as a single dad for three young boys, and he was very depressed. He went through the medical model. Medication did nothing for him. So then he tried a meditative route and then made his own meditations and breathing in that. And now we have the Wim Hof method as a, not only did it bring him out of his depression, but it uh, gave him a real high resistance to cold. So he's climbed mountains and nothing more than t-shirt and shorts. And he's done set underwater records, dozens of them uh, for the Guinness book. Uh, that would kill you or I. <laughs> yes, it would. But I, I have read so much about him and the health benefits. Yeah. The, the cold of the in, for your body. So I'm pursuing this not for uh, uh, depression. Although I do get seasonal affective disorder. That's where in the fall when we get the, the sunlight is shortened, our days are gloomier, you tend to get depressed. And in the past, I've treated that by uh, myself with that by taking vitamin D3, vitamin D3 right. or you use a, a light box and the light box or a tanning bed. I'm not gonna, going to get a tan. I'm just getting bright light on my face and that'll get rid of the seasonal, it'll control the seasonal affective disorder. This year, I've been doing the showers and uh, the ice baths and the, I don't have to do that. I've had... That has helped with your seasonal affective disorder yeah. as well? Absolutely. Oh, that's interesting. Ask my wife. I've been cheery. Oh, <laughs> which for this time of year is harder, harder to do. Yeah, the ice bath. So it's anti-inflammatory. It's antidepressive. Um, there may be longevity. Mm -hmm, I've read that as well. These are sirtuins. These genes are activated by extreme cold and extreme heat. So it seems like uh, it appears as though we need adversity in our lives to be healthy. And it's uh, it, whether it's adverse cold, adverse heat, adverse athleticism, all these things will help you live a longer and better life. And that's kind of what I'm using as a as a guide. Uh, yeah, you're gonna have to have some discomfort in order to have the lifestyle that you want as long as you want. And I have no preconceived limitations on this. I hope to be active in my 70s. I don't plan on retiring. I want to do chiropractic into my 70s and 80s. You know, God willing, if I can. I, I won't work 50-hour weeks like I do now, uh, a lot less, but I'll still be doing what I do. And uh, to date, I'm noticing a nice change in um, in the short period that I've been doing the ice baths, an improvement in the arthritis. It's helped a lot. Unfortunately, I used to go from the hot, from the cold tub into a hot tub, a hot shower, or a, a something like that. I have a hot tub. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> it, it's, it feels a lot better when you do that, but this I think it is more... Uh, value to you recovery not to do that to slowly warm up takes me about an hour to warm up so like i get up to i still lift at uh, five in the morning so if i get up at four and i ice bath and i'm up, up to eight minutes now using the wim hof method that's impressive and the, at the eight minute mark and then i, I get out i dry off and then you just slowly get warm and i'm at the gym by five five fifteen and let me tell you, I don't think I need pre-workouts anymore <laughs> because you don't need it. I want to ask you about your your power lifting and your yeah. lifting routine because I know there's so many health benefits from that, muscular, muscle, yeah. and skeletal. Can you touch on that a little bit for us? Um, so like any kind of weight-bearing exercise, as long as you have vitamin D3 and calcium, you will gain muscle mass. And it works better than any of the drugs that are on the market that, that they're purported to do the same thing. This is the most effective way to gain strength and to gain maintain strength and retain muscle mass. And these having retaining muscle mass is important for longevity. Many studies have shown that. 
and uh, the bone strength, you want that as well. So you have little cells in your body, osteoblasts, that build up bone, and they're constantly doing that. And you have little cells uh, called osteoclasts that are chewing up bone all the time. And it's only when you get later in life that the chewer-uppers, the little Pac-Men, the osteoclasts, outnumber and uh, outperform the osteoblasts. But you can force those osteoblasts uh, into action do the weight-bearing exercise. See, and and everyone likes to say, oh, my, I have a gene for this or a gene for that in my family. I can't do this. I can't do that. And that's an excuse, okay? So what you've been given is, in your genes is uh, genetics. But how you imagine that it's like a poker poker game. You've been given, say, a bad, bad genetic. So I, I, I'm going to be an alcoholic or I'm going to be fat. And it turns out the Amish, for example, in the United States – Almost every Amish male carries an obesity gene. They should be fat. They're not because they didn't play that card. They have a lifestyle and they have habits, dietary habits that prevent that card from being played. So their, their, their genetics are that I'm going to be fat, but their epigenetics, that's what it's called. How you played the card is that I'm not going to play that card. And, and I believe that's true of so many things. Mm-hmm. You 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 may have you may have a bunch of deuces and twos and threes and fours a bad, bad poker hand, but you just don't have to play it. So you can do things. Most people most people can do things that prevent them from playing the bad cards at the bad hand. And that is one of the things that your powerlifting and your weightlifting routines do. Is it just keeps your body? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, uh, that to to your point, it puts me uh, uh, on task. It helps you with focus. Yeah, and, and it helps you organize things. Uh, it, it, it gives you a structure, a superstructure that you can act, act on. And, and physically, uh, right? I mean, yeah, I see some powerlifters in their 60s, and they win entire meets. There's a little algorithm, a, a formula for how old you are. And if you can lift X amount of weight at 65, that's like lifting so much weight if you were 45 or so much weight if you were 30. So uh, as you get uh, higher up in weight, if you can just, if I figure I can just hang on to the powerlifting into my 60s, I'm going to win everything because uh, that's how it works. Just through attrition, I'm going to win. <laughs> and not only win, but you're feeling so much better and so yeah. much healthier and it's affecting so many aspects of your health. Yeah. But yes, I believe to maintain your health, you must be kept uncomfortable a little bit. If you're not, pathways are not going to be stimulated properly. And that's so true of any sort of physical routine, physical fitness. Right, right. The cold water baths, the sauna. Sauna is great for you. Steam saunas. Uh, I know in Europe and Northern European, Scandinavian countries, the longevity is clearly associated with the, the saunas, mm-hmm. with the hot, the hot, hot saunas. And uh, it seems to uh, be one of the easiest ways to be an octogenarian, someone that lives in their 80s, is to do that three or four times a week or even 100 years old. And so many different aspects that you can affect. Right. You know, people like to think of their skin as a, it's a protective covering, sure. And we accept the fact that we can uh, absorb like medications. You can get a testosterone patch or estrogen patch or a nicotine patch all absorbed through your skin. But you can also excrete from your skin. Sometimes uh, it's been called the third kidney. You know, that's another way of getting waste out of your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very right. effective at removing toxins. Yep. Yes. But the theme of the podcast being conversations to inspire, can you tell us something that you think that would help people, like a message you want to give them to help them inspire them along their own journey of health and wellness? 
Um, uh, I'll go back to be your own health advocate that you have to be, you have to toot your horn. You have to ask uncomfortable questions. Don't let the doctor out of the room until the questions you are all you need are all answered. Do your homework as best you can. Uh, a lot of doctors talk that they want to be, uh, partners, but they don't like being partners. They don't like being talked to as an equal doctors. Medical doctors used to intimidate me. And that is not the case anymore. Yeah, and don't let it be the case for you. Be an advocate for your health. Challenge thinking. Just because you're 40, you can't do this. Just because you're 50, you can't do that. Just because uh, you have this condition, you you, you can do it. I, I, you know, make educated uh, decisions. Read and do your research. Do your own research. Yeah. Absolutely. Explore other options. I have a... Keto, a keto diet is a great thing for losing weight. It's not for everybody. Some uh, health markers for females that are in menopausal and beyond menopause, it's not necessarily as healthy as it is for other age demographics. So the the one size fits all for uh, nutrition or any of these things. Don't, don't accept that. Some things spike your blood sugar, and this, that's in general what you want to avoid because that's inflammatory. That inflammatory process helps start to all sorts of diseases like cancer and heart disease. Uh, so you want to control that. But how, what uh, foods do that that spike your blood sugar? It varies from person to person. Some people can have, I've seen studies, you can have vanilla ice cream, and it spikes their blood sugar less than rice. Rice, it turns out, white rice, spikes your blood sugar for a lot of people. Strangely enough, since I've been doing the ice baths, I want to just, it doesn't seem like that spikes as much. I don't have a glucose monitor on me. I should probably look into that. Although, about an hour after I uh, am done with the cold immersion, I do notice I get ravenously hungry. Your body's trying to rev it up. And that stimulates something called ghrelin, which makes you hungry. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So be your own advocate. Ask questions. It's not annoying. This is the only body you have. Take care of it. And do your, like you said, do your own research, look into alternative health measures. Right. I want you to, for our listeners uh, that want to reach out to you, Uh go to your website, learn more about you, more about your practice, more about um, any health tips or anything else that you offer online. What is the best way for them to find you online? That's advancedspinecareandwellness.com, A-D-V-A-N-C-E-D-S-P-I-N-E-C-A-R-E-A-N-D-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S. Dot com. Okay. Advanced spine care and wellness. And the, and the, and is uh, written out. I know I couldn't pick a shorter link. Could I? <laughs> <laughs> that works. Right. That works. And now, you practice, um, you have two locations. Yep. Plymouth and Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Anything that you offer online? Cause you had mentioned a little bit. Oh, about- if you want, you can look at sciaticoach.com mm-hmm. and I would happy, be happy at some point to, uh, schedule a session of how to cure your sciatic pain and that transcends all time zones it hasn't gotten off the ground but i'd be happy to if you would go through that forum and set something up with you awesome well we really really appreciate your time today all right thanks thank you so much all right thanks Teresa. this is conversations to inspire with your host Teresa moore join us next week as we explore a different facet of the mind body spirit connection Help promote the show by subscribing and following this podcast and leave a five-star review so we can continue to get incredible guests as we dive further into the mind-body-spirit connection. 